So welcome everybody to today's um, MediaWorks and MWI Digital Masterclass, um, the title of which is Supercharge Your Digital Presence and Dominate This Year's Clearing. So we're very much uh, focusing on the world of um, uh, education today and um, you know the, the annual challenge of um, how to recruit enough students, uh, not to have too many, uh, get the right students in. Um, and, uh, you know, this, this, uh, this journey has been going on um, for as long as I can remember, uh, working on different um, university clients over the years. And, uh, but, you know, it doesn't stay the same. And uh, it's very interesting how, how, how things do change and, and the tools that we've got available to us um, has also kind of uh, changing too. So we're going to explore some of that today and uh, hopefully give um, all the attendees some good pointers for um, how you can really supercharge your, your activity this year. Um, I think just to, just to kick off, um, just looking at some of the latest UCAS data. Um, so, it tells us that in four in 2021, 492,000 students were accepted. Um, and we know that in 2022, this year already, 611,000 people have applied to university and college so far. Um, and not only have the, that number applied, the numbers are set to get even bigger. And um, UCAS again tells us that all the people that registered with UCAS by January, 68% of those that registered still and haven't applied yet, still intend to go to university this year. So you've got this whopping great number of people that are going to be jumping into the market when we get into clearing. Um, so I think that kind of starts to say, well, how, how the hell do you go about marketing to that? And um, I think just one thing that's kind of quite reassuring, um, again, according to UCAS, um, only one in 20 um, applicants will join a university or college uh, that they're unfamiliar with. So it tells us that 19 out of those 20 people are in the market doing their research, looking around, looking at the courses, looking at the locations, looking at what's on offer. Um, and, you know, it, and, and, and it's still true that, that, and this has been true for, uh, you know, for as long as I've been looking at this, that, you know, the number one thing that is going to drive kind of interest and engagement is around the course. So the course that someone's interested in, do you offer it? Does it look like the right kind of thing? Um, and, and actually, a, a third of potential students will have made that decision about the course that they're interested in, the degree that they would like to get before they even turn 16. So, you know, there's a, there's a, it's quite interesting the dynamics of this about how we need to reach out to, 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 to schools. Um, but also, you know, another third decide, um, you know, while they're, while they're researching. Um, and, um, and, you know, so 66% of students know actively what their, what their subject's going to be before they get into, into the university kind of market. So it kind of points to the fact that we need to be pretty much always on, not just there in clearing. There's a lot of people still researching, still making their minds up. And, um, and uh, you know, it's not, it's not just about if we sweep in clearing, we can, we can achieve everything. I mean, I, I have worked on campaigns in the past where, um, for, and I won't name the, the universities, but, you know, they've been looking a bit dicey um, going into August. And then, you know, you get the whole media team basically sitting there for about 72 hours um, while they manage to the clearing things. And you can turn a situation around, you know, over the space of that, that kind of weekend. So um, we're expecting a, a big year for clearing this year. Um, and I guess that kind of sets the scene for it. So I think uh, as normal, we, we kind of have a bit of a structure that we're going to uh, walk through in the session. So 
the first one, I guess, is talking about any kind of trends that we we see that are kind of facing student recruitment campaigns and how that might imp, Im, impact marketing strategies. So I think, David, you were going to pick up on this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to come in absolutely on this. So I'm, I'm, as you know, I'm super passionate about higher education space, working it for a number of years now, as I say, manage campaigns um, in the space. So I think it's it's really interesting to say that sort of for me, there's there's always been sort of two types of, of institutions, if you like, in the sense that there's there's sort of selective uh, institutions who are selective courses where, for example, they've got only a set amount of numbers um, available or places available for learners to go on to, which normally means that it's it's a selective recruitment process. So normally things like interviews, um, you know, uh, portfolios, et cetera, et cetera, that, that, that get evaluated. And then there's a second um, set of organisations um, for which I call sort of open recruiters. So that's a case of, you know, they haven't got those caps in place and, you know, I'm thinking here nursing courses where there's only certain amount of placements or social work and things like that. But I think it's really interesting around sort of the, the messages that you manage around sort of those types of courses and the typology of courses. But look, that's nothing new. Like that's been going on for absolutely years. As soon as they, they opened the marketplace up and took caps off, it essentially meant that you were always going to have institutions that were more selective and institutions that, that therefore wanted to recruit lots of students. I think the interesting for me, thing for me now is the, the, the typology of courses. So, you know, we're not just seeing sort of on campus. We're not just seeing online. We're going to see hybrid. I mean, on the back of the pandemic, there's more online co- com- uh, courses, the rise of apprenticeships um, being delivered by universities, etc. All adds into this mix. So I think that what I'm really saying is that that decision-making process is much more um, nuanced than it probably ever has been before. It's not, you know, I take, totally take on board it, it's, its course, but it's not just content on course anymore. It's more to delivery. It, it's, you know, is the place the placement opportunities, how is that going to work, how much is going to be in the classroom? So I think there's, there's all of those elements. I think the, the other thing I would say is, and this sort of plays out, is... You know, one of the things that's always happened is it's always typically been sort of two spikes in a recruitment cycle in terms of intent that you see. And that's normally been sort of around that January period um, when UCAS sets its first cut-off stage deadline for applications going in. And then a second stage, and then a second stage one, which has been sort of around that clearing. I think what we're seeing is we used to see that those spikes be more sort of pronounced. I think we're seeing sort of that be a bit more steady throughout the year. What I would say is, though, on the back of that, we're seeing way more competition in the marketplace, which means uh, from a performance market perspective, costs going up, cost per clicks are going up, um, and it's becoming you know quite challenging to to actually engage with learners throughout a cycle, and it goes back to that always on. And I know hope when you and I were talking about we were talking about the role of of clearing and, and the the mind shift that that's had in the position in the recruitment cycle. Yeah, definitely. I think the fact that like clearing isn't now seen as like a fallback option anymore and it, it's become part of some learners like structured higher education process. And the fact that the research from UCAS shown that there's 68 percent of people who registered in January but didn't apply just shows that people still intend on going to university, but they're kind of not necessarily going down a structured path anymore and I think the flexibility that clearing provides it kind of just backs it up that it's more of a flexible route rather than a fallback route from now on. Yeah and I think the other thing I'd come in on there is is around sort of the way that we're seeing that play out in search as well 
you know, so what we, what we know is is that typically how it's worked is, you know, I think it was Jennifer Howard from from Google's director of education said that you know that that education piece has really often been a sort of long drawn out process. And I actually think what's interesting is I still think it is a long drawn out process for clearing learners. I think what we're seeing is though is learners are now or our applicants are potentially seeing clearing more strategically. So before it used to be mad panic, I didn't get the results I wanted, where can I go? I think now what we're seeing is learners actually build that into their strategy and almost hold off. It's not to say that they're not engaging with the research and it's not to say that they're not searching their courses out, but I do think there is an element that they're strategically seeing that as, right, well, I'm going to wait to see what happens and wait to see what I get, and then I'm going to come in on the, come in on the back of that um, and see what's available in clearing, particularly in certain disciplines. You know, I'm thinking, you know, business courses here, sports courses, etc. What more those open recruitment courses where you know that typically there will be uh, sort of places available. I also think sort of one of the things that I just wanted to, to touch on was um, – one of the final points I'll make in this section, which I think is a notable trend or something we need to absolutely consider, is um, the role of under like 18 year olds in this. You know, we still we talk about diversity and recruitment for most universities. Diversity is increasing in terms of age range, blend of international learners, etc. On the back of the pandemic, there's been a bit of a boom in that area. However, what I would say is is the platforms now with this whole, you know, consumer data protection, GDPR, the GDPR, cookie-less future has meant that actually targeting those younger groups is, is way more difficult than it's ever been. So we can't actually do some of the, the hyper-targeted activity of, of the younger audience in the way that we could in the platforms. So that is something I'm going to touch on later. But essentially, you know, if you're now targeting people 18 or below, you can actually, on social media, only target them based on sort of age, location, and gender rather than necessarily all the interest groups that they're in, etc. So that is again is is sort of a notable nuance that we're seeing in the marketplace. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 kind of um I think for a while there there was a bit of a dream that you could do um a very, very segmented. I know you're going to come on to this, but that dream of being able to segment everyone from, you know, mature students, um, people who are the first generation of their family coming to uni, people that, um, you know, remember looking at campaigns for Sunderland Uni and kind of going, okay, well, the important bit's the catchment area. And then them going, well, hang on, we want to get people from Leeds coming in. And you do, you got your geo targeting, your age targeting, your course targeting, your, you know, and it, and, it, and it got very complex for a while. And you kind of went, you kind I've always thought that the answer might be about being a bit more demand driven, but that's great if you're Manchester or Newcastle or Durham or Leeds. And I think it, it kind of it kind of rang a little bit hollow when you got down to some of the, the unis that had to work at that bit harder to fill their, you know, to fill their quotas. But um but yeah, and then add add in GDPR, so we can't really do some of that stuff anymore in the cookieless world. Um, it does mean that we need to think a bit a, a, a bit differently again, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I also think, and, and again, I'm sort of touching a point I would have brought up later, but I'll, I'll address it now. It's like, for me, like first party data has never been as important, you know, yeah. and actually the role of the role of using things like open days or even outreach activity as a way of sort of getting the data of, of those potential um, learners that may come to study your organisation is absolutely massive. Because, you know, from my perspective, you can run things like, email campaigns, if you can back that up with then sort of that more social uh, approach through lookalike audiences, et cetera, that definitely puts you in good stead, but it, it does require a mindset shift 
as as sort of it, it almost gets to a point where you, you're going into the business you know the business world where it's like what's the purpose of an exhibition if you're selling a high tariff item you know nobody's going to buy on the spot or very few people are at a conference or an exhibition to buy on the spot what they're there to do is collect their data and then obviously make sure you, you develop that relationship and contact with the potential person customer in an exhibition world or you know learner in an open day world but from my perspective like that's a massive shift that that, that organizations have to consider because as you say paul you can't just simply go out there right people yeah. are interested people are interested in sport who are aged you know 16 to 18 based 15 miles outside of manchester with xyz you know, that type of targeting approach actually yeah. has to be the Yeah, and basically for unis, you can't wait for registration day to start a relationship with a with a student. You have to be open arms, welcoming them in and getting that first party data and that relationship going before they're anywhere near having an offer or or, or that kind of thing. Yeah. So very interesting. So next thing we want to talk about was um about kind of channels, we'll, we'll, we'll cover this in a couple of different ways, but, you know, so students' channel of choice, how do they want to be communicated to? We'll talk about a bit about content in a minute, but um, do you want to have a go at that one, David? Yeah, well, I'll come, I'll come in on that one because, again, sort of part of my role is, is engaging with Google on quite a regular basis, and they've done some really interesting stuff historically around something called the messy middle, which we've delivered masterclasses on before, but they're saying that, that basically... You know, we talk, we've always talked about conversion funnels and we're great at talking about conversion funnel. But actually, really what we're saying now is it starts with a trigger and it ends with an, an action. And that action can be anything from signing up to a course or it might be attending an open day. It depends what you're actually try, trying to achieve, I guess, as, as part of that and part of that customer journey. But what we do know is in that middle, like what Google says that that on average and dependent on complexity of purchase, most consumers go between anywhere between 50 and 500 customer touch points. So that isn't all online, but they're touch points in the purchase decision. The more challenging, the more sort of considered purchase decision or engagement decision, such as which university you're going to commit to for the next 12 months, three years, four years, depending on the, the, the duration of your course, that's quite a big decision. And normally spread out, you know, spread out over quite a period of time. So actually, what I'd suggest is in higher education in particular, it's definitely going to be on the higher side of the touch points that a customer or a, or a user would, would expect, which sort of then brings you to the point of it can't be single channel, right? It can't just be relying on being the best in Google from a search engine perspective. It can't rely on being the best on social media in terms of having that organic approach. It's got to be a hybrid of, of multiple touch points because look, the 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 reality is, you know, the the generations looking to go to university, it's quite an intensive decision making process. And the reality is, is they're going to be quite digitally literate in most instances. Um, are going to really be seeking out sources of truth and sources of information that are going to sway their decision, and they're ever evolving. I think as well, from like a content perspective, um, the all of these options and like all of these touch points that that students have throughout this journey, and it's kind of tying back into what universities want to say and like what they how they want their students to feel, and I feel like. The 2021, 2022 students, like creating confidence is, is probably the key component to what these campaigns run around. And I feel like that should be the heart of them because it's some of these students haven't had that opportunity of, of going from school to college and kind of bridging that small jump. 
and then going from college to university to, to bridge that gap as well. And I think in order to make students feel comfortable doing sometimes the gap from school all the way through to university, it's creating confidence around the course that they're going to be going to, the university that they're going to be visiting, where they're going to be staying. It's it's more than just a, oh, I'm going to go to this university because I got in or whatever. It's it's kind of like creating a a bit of a a community and an environment that students are going to feel safe. And it's how you sort of channel that through each single touch point and creating a holistic campaign that's built around they know that they're going to feel confident in going to xyz university because they've seen the same message and consistency through all these touch points and they know that that's genuinely what that that university wants to do for their students as well and i think how it's showed through um like how it actually is displayed through content i feel like ugc content is kind of like it's really a touch point that all students kind of resonate with because it's not necessarily an, an academic post saying join our university and um, we're closing in four weeks or, or whatever for, for undergrad placements. But it's, it's saying students who've, who've been through that experience or are going through that experience now and showing it through the likes of like social media and um, posts on Instagram or like TikTok's obviously like a key um, social platform for where all students are at the minute. But it's shown that we want to show content that students are definitely going to resonate with and it's not just academic it's it's these stories and these these sort of personal touches that that universities want to be adding to their content so that it does really resonate with the students yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I love that idea around so when you say ugc i always feel the need to sort of it's not speaking accurate so user generated yeah. content right now it's a really important point though because i think for me that's been one of the biggest drivers over the last two or three years is I always used to say when I worked in higher education, it was like, I was used to do this moment where it was like, I we all knew what it was about, really. We all thought we're doing the dance. We all knew how we were all in it. My job was to stand at the front, tell everybody how you know fantastic the university was, etc. And the reality is, like people accept that that's your responsibility. It's like walking into a car showroom and then somebody saying, "Oh, you know, oh, it's a terrible car. Don't buy it." It's never going. It's never going to happen, right? It's like you're representative of that organisation. However, the whole idea around user-generated content and actually getting getting existing learners, graduates, etc., really telling their story and, and talking to an audience that's more similar to them. You know, definitely not similar to me as a you know, 30-odd-year-old guy in a suit at the front of a, a lecture theatre. You know, the reality is, like, the, re- the I probably resonate more with the parents than I do, you know, the, 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 the learner themselves. So I think the role of user-generated content and even things like that takes you down the road of things like influencer as well. One of the things that we've been talking to the university about quite a lot, we do quite a lot of work with, is around, you know, even just profiling their, their current students and looking at who's got large-scale social followings, um, because what you'll find is there's no, normally quite a number of micro-influencers, et cetera, in that space. I mean, it comes with all sorts of hygiene warnings about how applicable it is. Do you want to be associated with that learner depending on what they're posting about in the free time? But what we need to know is, or what we need to understand is that, that you know, learners who are doing the course are already going to be talking about the fact that they're doing the course. So is there a way we can leverage that? Is there a way that we can get them talking? And, and then using you know, the paid channels, for example, to amplify the, their message not just the message, the, the on-brand institutional message. Um, yeah. And I think leading on to that, and this is one of the things that I know you're going to talk about later, Paul, because we talked about this around TikTok. Um, and TikTok for me is a really interesting channel when you look at the massive growth that we've seen in that. You know, it said basically 60% of freshers um, in 2020, sorry, 
it grew by 60% in terms of the fresher population in 2020. That number then also grew uh, by a further 41% in 2021. And TikTok as a platform is showing absolutely no sign of slowing down amongst that fresher group. And um, so that typically sort of 18 to 20 year old audience. So I think using that platform and, and the types of content that we see on that platform is slightly different to probably the more polished approaches that we see from big brand universities, if you like. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about, let's talk about TikTok. <laughs> um, well, so um, the, the next bit we just want to talk about is kind of what content. So when, when, when we talk about channels and then, you, you know, the channels go with the content. And so so let, let's just start, you know, TikTok is the channel of Gen Z. It's not exclusively the only channel they use. They will also be very uh, heavily using YouTube. Um, they'll be using Instagram and they'll be using Snapchat. And, um, you know, it's kind of a bit of a nightmare at the moment because actually you probably do need to use all the channels and they're all a little bit different. Um, a lot, all, all of them have got user-generated elements to them and all of them have got opportunities for um, you to publish your own content. Um, I think the critical thing with, with content and whether it be user-generated or curated or facilitated or you know however we're going to get into making great content it's got to be authentic and it does help if the person presenting the content has got some influence the worst thing is having a load of user-generated content from people who you don't care about and you don't like their attitudes you don't like what they're wearing and you think they're idiots you know that doesn't that doesn't work very well but that isn't the way the platforms work people find people that they like and if they're talking about things that they they respect and they're into then that becomes influential but there's some great there's some great content on tiktok from um people that are quite influential within within education and talking about uni life there's a lot of stuff that you wouldn't want your parents to see about uni life and on tiktok as well um, but there you go it's, it's real um i think the, the other important things about the content is to make it really inclusive um really diverse gen z um well we, we should all care about that but gen z particularly um they don't just like one person and one type all the time um i think content has got to be really immediate it's about the now it's got to be positive there's no point pretending that crap isn't going on in the world. You know, Jen said are very, very engaged with what's going on in the world. Um, but also to the point that actually they're quite concerned about a lot of things. And Gen Z, as opposed to millennials, uh, are much more likely to gravitate towards the kind of content that feels supportive of them. It feels it's acknowledging the world that they're in, the difficulties that they're going to have. And, you know, an important thing for uni life for a Gen Zer is to feel that they're going to be supported after they've had the worst period ever of the pandemic and everything being really weird and school being weird. And also the kind of feeling like the rest of the, the next few years is going to be weird as well. So we, we need to kind of, you know, offer that kind of support. Um, now, I think that's true for all unis, but then I think that the, the most difficult thing and, uh, you know, having worked on loads of creative campaigns for unis, it's very hard to get standout because everybody does exactly the same thing. You come up with a snappy strap line, you have some really funky photography, um, you get into whatever the latest fashion is going to be, you make everything look amazing, and then guess what? Everyone else has done the same thing. So it's very difficult to kind of get standout. And I think that there's an opportunity within platforms like TikTok because you don't have to make one ad and that's it. 
you can go exploring and explore what makes you distinctive as a uni. So that is regional voices. It is the iconic buildings that you're gonna that you're gonna bump into and work around and be in. You know, it's it's about the life in your city. What does that look like? What what you know? How 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 is that? You know, just represent what is going on. Um, it is also about the landscape. It's about the local food. It's about the history of the place. It's about what all the fashion is going on in your place. You know, represent the culture and the student culture and the young people's culture of, of, of the place that you're in, I think is super important because otherwise you end up looking like everyone else. So just always think about part of your brand is about being distinctive where you can't, you're not, you're not necessarily going to be different. You're all going to, it's the same, it's a similar course in a similar institution with similar people. Think about how, what makes you distinctive. Um, and I think the, the other thing that I, that really stands out for me is that, People, a lot of unis are scared of talking about their courses, even though that's the number one thing that people are interested in. And then when they do talk about the courses, they have a tendency to try and make to, to make them look quite dull because they kind of say, here's the full syllabus, this is what we're going to be talking about. Whereas actually they should focus on the best bits, the inspiring bits, the engaging bits, the bits when people get up and talk and get excited or they make things or or, or that kind of thing. So to focus in on that sort of thing, we uh, we did some work with Manchester Met Uni about their engineering courses. And when we, we kept, kept looked at creative that was about climate activism, DIY robotics, smart transport, even cosplay, people dressing up as robots, um, and we and you know one of the best things that we did for them was a recruitment ad that had that was all in code, so it was a poster that no one could understand, and it just took someone really smart to to hover a mobile phone over it, had an NFC chip in it, you downloaded a three D printable file that you could take into your CDT workshop at school, print out a key, you take that key to the open day, it unlocks the box, and in that you get a prize for you and your school. Now that's what I mean. Don't make things dull. Just try and be interesting. Try and be stimulating and focus on the bits of the courses that, that really do get people excited. Final thing I just wanted to say was I did a little bit of a look this morning about we have three unis in Leeds. We have Leeds Uni, Leeds Beckett Uni and Leeds Trinity. Leeds Uni, just go and look at their TikTok. It's brilliant. They're doing everything right. You know, they're wandering around, they're talking to people they've got in the, a day in the life of, different students, uh, just that, you know, they've given the platform over to them. It's not the marketing team that are doing everything. Leeds Beckett have got about 10 posts and I would say must try harder. Leeds Trinity being talked about all over the place, no presence on TikTok. So it, it's imperative that um, the unis and the colleges get on TikTok and um, embrace the world of UGC, but work about work out how you can curate it, work out how you can find things that are exciting, and then get the students themselves to to talk about those things. So Paul's lecture about content. Any any thoughts on that? I think for me, I think for me, Paul, the honest to come in on that, I think I think yeah. content's king. You know, especially yeah. with, with the, the generation that we're talking about, I think content is absolutely key. I think too, for too long we got hung up on channels, right? We, we sort of we write media plans so focused on, had to be on this channel, had to be on that channel. The reality is now, yeah, TikTok's great, Snapchat's brilliant, Facebook has its role, and Instagram, et cetera. But the reality is it's great content, but great content can be amplified and used across multiple platforms. And I think, absolutely, you know, just go and experiment, you know, Test and learn, see what works. Um, if it works, great. If it doesn't work, you know, move on, try something else, you know, debrief, think about it. So I think that would be the takeaway for me is, is from that section around content is content is king and, and engage with different types of content. Because as you say, 
God, it can be, you know, so samey, the marketplace. You know, you sat with course pages of 10 different universities, and the reality is they're all saying the same sorts of things, all covering the same sorts of modules, um, delivering generally in similar ways. So it's actually, what else is that wraparound? And we know that for lots of learners, it's that bigger experience piece. It's where am I going to move? Where am I going to live? What's the nightlife going to be like? What's the sports scene like in that city? What's the, you know, what I say? What's the food? And I think for me, it's, it's you know, don't under, underestimate or understate that element in your marketing message as well. Yeah, exactly. I think, sorry, I was just going to say, I think as well from a student perspective, like, just because something worked really well in the last cohort it doesn't mean that it's going to work really well in this one there's so many changes going on in the news in the world like every new cohort in every year it's a new opportunity to really bring these people in so don't just presume that one thing works because I've seen it in in my local universities they'll use the same consistent thing year on year because they think that that works and there's so much opportunity and I think like what you touched on on TikTok like when in like 2019 which is probably the last time universities really did push with their big sort of marketing campaigns before COVID TikTok wasn't even really a thing so they've now got all this opportunity and all this scope to really reinvent themselves on TikTok go for it and and it will change on a year-to-year basis so don't just presume that just because one thing works you have to stick with it absolutely great great point um right so um Final couple of things we just wanted to touch on. Um, so back over to you, Hope, um, was about kind of search marketing and uh, the role that that's playing. So, uh, you, you know, I think with, with things like TikTok, you're going to kind of discover content search. We're, we're, it's about the, how do we meet that demand, isn't it? Yeah, so I think one thing that I'm, I've seen that with Google had reported, which I found quite surprising, was that the general sort of queries around like going to university and around higher education in general, they've kind of seemed pretty flat over the last three years. There's nothing that's had a massive change and in, in shift in what people are asking. But consumer behavior is, is definitely changing. And the one thing that really stood out for me is that students aren't necessarily searching Manchester University or Leeds University anymore. What they're searching is more around queries around like the degree types. Um, so where can I study a business management degree? Where can I study a placement year degree, for example? And then kind of like the, the special credentials that go off the back of it. So I know that it's kind of when I was at school and when I was doing my A-levels, it was plugged into you that you needed 120 UCAS points, for example, to be able to get onto that course. But it's kind of like, what does that really mean? How is that breakdown shown? And it, it's given students a little bit more information around course specific information and that, especially from a clearing perspective, I know obviously it depends on person to person whether they need X amount of UCAS points, but it's really going into the detail around the courses and what your course, why your course is special and what makes it different to the same university down the street. And I think from a, a general sort of query perspective around universities, like it really, this is the opportunity where universities like Newcastle University, for example, which is down the road from me, what makes them massively different to Northumbria University? They're in the same city, so they've got the same sort of news, but they really need to tap into the, the unique things that are around Newcastle University, whether that's the awards that they've won, the people who've actually been there in previous years. Like it's a it's a selling opportunity and it's a small window that you actually have to be able to sell your university to these students. So don't just put the the sort of bog standard course overview on these pages. Really sort of sell them a little bit more and, and get people excited about going to university because like Paul said earlier, most of the pages look exactly the same. So what can you do to sort of really stand out and make a difference around it? 
And I think from a clearing page um, perspective specifically, is that one thing that we've seen from a search perspective when we're looking from a, a technical search engine optimization perspective is that these clearing pages should be live all year round. They shouldn't just be something that universities are switching on in May and turning off in September. In, in order to sort of build authority around the conversation around clearing and, and kind of sort of drive links back to the clearing page all year round so that when you're looking from a rankings perspective, you are ranking for these questions around clearing. So whether it be sort of how long does it take to go through the clearing process, for example, that's something that people are asking. So you want to make sure that you're searching for it all year round um, and that you're ranking for it as well. And I think from a from this page perspective, like if you've got this consistent page year on year, you can obviously make tweaks to it as the year goes on and throughout the year and obviously updated on a yearly basis but all the information the key information that students are going to be looking for should be live on your website at all times and I just think it makes it easier for students because although we say that from whether it be May August or, or whatever that that's kind of where students are sort of searching for clearing it might be something if students have to get the UCAS applications in for January it might be something that they're still searching in January so if you're not visible for these questions that they're asking they're not going to find you so they're probably going to go for your competitor down the road who does have this page live all the time yeah and then I th I think from like how this page should be structured obviously you want to have you want to be answering all these questions that students are asking but kind of reiterating to what I said earlier it's your opportunity to, to talk about your city to talk about what you have to offer compared to what other people don't have to offer like it's really your opportunity to shine and ensure these these students that you've got what they want and it's it's visible all year round yeah, yeah. great great thanks Hope um and uh, okay, we start a little bit late, so we'll overrun a little bit. Um, we normally we normally finish at ten past, but um, we've got one more very important topic to go through. But I, th I think we'll we can uh, be very focused. So, uh, and that's really we talked about it briefly earlier about how how we can be more hyper targeted. So, David, I guess over to you to kind of say, you know, what what do we do now then? Yeah, I, th I think. If there's no doubt about it that, that what we're seeing is, depending on which platform is using, it is, is definitely more challenging around targeting specific users. And you know what? Like The reality is most consumers are actually pretty pleased with that because they don't want to have that sort of spooky moment where it feels like you're being followed around the web and, and, and you know, you're being targeted on such a really intimate level that you're like, whoa, that was a bit, that was a bit unusual. And I think that particularly you've talked about Gen Z, like Gen Z are particularly up to up to date on on those type of, of data protection matters, etc. So I think we're more considerate and, and and understanding of that whole process. So, but look, we want to run hyper target campaigns still, right? Like the reality is is if we don't run hyper targeted campaigns, you question things like efficiency, you question things like effectiveness, and nobody's just got a limitless budget here. What I would say is it, it's really interesting. We've been working with a, a programmatic provider who runs campaigns with us. And actually, they've been doing things like cookie-less testing. So testing, targeting audiences that, that haven't you know, signed up for cookies, et cetera, et cetera. And what they actually find is, is that on the data that they can do, they're actually seeing really strong performance still. So what I would say is that whilst the platforms have taken out that hyper-personalized, hyper-targeted element, it's still... You can still target people depending on what platforms you're using. And actually, you know, if we're thinking about social, 
we maybe have to think about influencer. We maybe have to think about user-generated content if we think it, you know, and then amplifying that and targeting based on a more broad scale, accepting that you're going to have that attrition, you're going to have that wastage, but still, you know, you're going to resonate with your audience, but it might be at a cheaper rate. So there's trade-offs to be done there because remember that the more highly targeted, the normally the more high value, you know, more cost it, it, it took. So it's a bad trade-off there. I also think, the platforms themselves, sort of Google's and the way that they're bringing, you know, broad match modifiers, et cetera, into play and allowing us to now sort of bring in wider terms and the way that machine learning's progressed, linking into what Hope had said previously about clearing and, and the content around clearing and the way people's search terms have changed. The reason that Google's, for example, changed their, the way that their algorithms work and the way that their campaign types work from a search perspective is because you can use machine learning to pull in sort of wider terms. It's not just as specific as sports management at, you know, um, Portsmouth University or Plymouth. You know, it's it, people aren't searching that. They're, t- they're talking about, you know, um, sports, uh, fo- areas to play football at university is a, is, a, is a problem. And things like that will then pull in. And I think for me, that then sort of leads us nicely as well onto that final, uh, I want to start almost where I finished where I started, around understanding the data. Like most universities have access to a massive array of data, you know, and that's current students, or students in the last year, um, students that you've engaged with through outreach activity at various different points, people who've engaged with you through open days, et cetera, registered for events. Like for me, one of the areas that I often see is, is that piece really underplayed um, at a lot of universities. So understanding the power of data and being able to run things like lookalike campaigns to, to people who look like those people. Now, the trick w- with that, though, is you've got to make sure that you've got that real process around how are you collecting data, what acquisition strategy are you using around data, and then also being comfortable with, with data, I think, is a, a massive piece. Um, and I think that because universities being particularly sort of public sector-led is all worried about the Advertising Standards Authority and, and you know, the GDPR elements to it, what I would say is that the platforms have made it easier um, and and are really hopping up on, on that as a topic. So... Don't be shy of using the data that you've already got is what I would be saying to produce these hyper-targeted campaigns, i.e., you know, remarketing, retargeting activity. Um, and I think, you know, that starts to get quite interesting, doesn't it, Paul? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, I, I think it's uh, you, you every, I, th- I think it's keep on to, keep on top of whoever whether you're internal um, you know, team looking at your marketing or or with your agency, but the tools are evolving and bringing in the techniques that we might develop for e-commerce and applying them into you know our recruitment campaigns. So things like retargeting, remarketing, lookalikes, um, all, all become super relevant. So um, and um, you know, if you're not doing any of that, you know, please come and talk to us because we've got all the know-how to do that. Um, and yeah, I think it's uh, yeah you. you the, the world changes quick and you've got to keep on top of the way that all the platforms and the algorithms are working. And, uh, you know, I guess that's where we come in because that's what we spend our time doing. Well, certainly David does anyway, and hope. Um, right. So, well, thank you very much, guys. Um, just a quick summary. I think, um, you know, we covered five different things. Uh, I think key things to me, always on and clearing are really important and have never been as important as they are now. And maybe we should shift our attitude towards clearing a little bit. 
Um, user-generated content, how do we build relationships early with students? So not just a registration, you know, get first-party data from them, get talking to them, build preference uh, towards us, um, you know, early in the year. Don't leave it till clearing time. Um, understand your audience, be where they are, be relevant to them, be authentic, try and be distinctive in this sea of sameness, you know, and celebrate your best bits. You know, if, if there's something really crazy going on in a, in a department, get your social media team down there, get it on TikTok, but don't, don't, you know, get a student to represent what they thought about it. Keep it real, keep it authentic. Um, searches are getting more specific. People are inquiring more deeply. Um, and I think that po point that Hope made about making your clearing more obvious and transparent and have, have the pages up there all the time so that people people can see it, they know where it is, they know how to access it, um, is super important because a lot of the, the battle will still be fought in clearing. And then uh, just on to David's last point, you know, we can still hyper-target in a cookie-less world, but it just gets a bit different. You know, Google's always evolving. The programmatic platforms are evolving. Machine learning, algorithm changes. We can still target, but maybe we need to think a bit more laterally about it or, or realise what the algorithms are doing. Um, you know, use creative, work with influencers to attract people to us, you know, where we can't necessarily find them. We, you know, like, let's just get them to come and see us. And, um, you know, most importantly, gather gather first party data and, and be able to run retargeting and lookalike activity. And you should be in quite a good place. So um, I hope everyone's enjoyed that. Um, I never did intros at the beginning. So i uh, just like to say we have been Hope Johnston, content strategist. Thank you, Hope. <laughs> David Norris, Performance Marketing Director. Hello, everyone. Thank you Thank very you, much. David. And uh, Paul Mallet, Managing Partner at MediaWorks in Leeds. Thank you all, and have a great Tuesday, and we'll see you next time for another MediaWorks and MWI Digital Masterclass. Bye for now. <laughs>